Hello. Thank you for joining us today for the Harvest Time Church weekly podcast. As you listen today, we pray that you are richly blessed and that the message would guide you deeper into your walk with Jesus and help you to advance His kingdom here on earth. Have a blessed day. This morning, thanks for joining us. We're going to talk this morning about the topic is going to be when trouble comes. Now, this is something that every single one of us go through. Every single one of us experience, if you are living in this earth, if you are living your life now, you have experienced trouble to some degree. So troubles, they can come in a lot of different ways, right? You know, some of us would define troubles one way. Maybe one of us would define troubles another way, but troubles can come in the form of setbacks, Maybe, maybe a loss of a job, maybe a tree falling on your newly built fence. I mean, I'm sure we can, if we look at our lives or we know somebody that has had troubles, right? You know, also, what about a difficult season? Maybe you're having trouble in your marriage. Maybe uh, your family, you're having family drama. You ever have family drama? Who does not have family drama? Man, you're lying. All right, I'll talk to you after the service. Ain't no way that you don't ever have family drama. As long as we are human beings and there's at least two people involved, you have the potential for drama. Just the way it works, right? You know, but we do believe that mar- godly marriages and, and that we would have thriving marriages, not dying marriages, is our heart for the church and couples in our church. Uh, maybe you're going through, a, you know, a difficult season in your career. Maybe you got, you know, you're just having issues amongst your employer or your employees and you know, and sometimes God uses those things to really work in our lives, right? You know, we pray all the time, Lord, help, help me or help them, right? You know, Lord, move me or move them. You ever prayed that? You know, you're around somebody that's really that catalyst of change in your life, you know, but it can be seen as troubles. I'm having troubles. I come home and I'm stressed out and I'm frustrated because the workplace is, you know, my bosses. Have you ever had a boss that becomes less and less and less demanding? It's always more and more and more demanding, you know, from, from what I've seen in, in, the, in the workforce and, you know, working careers and different things. It seems like the expectations and the demands and when you hit that, that level of excellence, they're like, you did a great job. And now since you've done a great job, we're even going to shoot higher this next time around, right? You know, it always seems like it's this unachievable um, mark. But so sometimes we can see that as just a difficult season in our life. And sometimes failure, okay? You know, so have you ever took a test and failed it? Now, I know there's some straight-A students in here. My wife, I don't think she has ever failed anything. Me, on the other hand, I've pushed the limits. Just put it that way, right? That, you know, just you've tried or you, you, you've studied. Or, or, or how about you had a professor that taught their notes, they taught all these things, and you're, you're a note taker. I don't know how many of you have went through college and everything. It's like, you're taking all these notes and listening to all the lectures, and it was 100% based on the book. But you didn't read the book. You listened to the lecture, and you listened to all they were saying. You took those notes, and that's what you studied, and then you open that test, and you're like, oh, my Lord. And at that point, just answering C all the way down may be the most favorable choice. Because you look at all the answers and none of them look right. You ever done that? And there's not a D all the above. <laughs> and, you know, so, but sometimes we fail a test. We don't, we don't succeed. You know, have you ever played baseball and, and struck out? You know, there are going to be times in your life where you just experience failure. There's going to be times that you have setbacks. There's going to be times that you have difficult seasons in your life. Well, how are we to respond? I believe that the Christians of this world should be responding different than the people in the world. We should understand that there is going to be troubles, 
but how do we respond to those troubles? You know, so sometimes people see setbacks more of a negative thing than a positive thing, right? You know, in, in those moments of negativity or those hard seasons, did you know that sometimes that is the catalyst that can cause the most growth in your life? I know that the seasons of my life where it was just comfortable and it was easy, I didn't really grow a whole lot, but it was in those moments of my life of difficulty or hardship, setback, disappointment, or failure that I had the opportunity. Now, notice I said the word opportunity. We can go through troubles and not grow, or we can go through troubles and allow those to really cause us to grow and to change, and our perspective can be more, God, what are you showing me among this, rather than, God, how dare you? Because that's what I see. When people go through things, they want to blame God. Right out of the gate, they say, God, how come, how would you let this happen? Why is this going on? Why do bad things happen to what? Good people. We have to understand the condition of our fallen world and the nature we live in. We all live and we all die. There's sickness, there's disease. Soon as sin entered the world, it changed the whole perspective of what God's original plan was. Way back in the Garden of Eden, God had a strategic plan that man would live forever in unity and community with God. There was one condition. It said, do not eat from this tree. So the moment humanity decided, I know better than you, God, we all of a sudden went through this downward spiral of thinking we knew what to do, and it caused sin to enter the world. And then we see a byproduct of that sinful nature through sickness, through disease, through anger, through bitterness, all of these ugly things in the world, right? So there's this quote by Ariana Huffington. She said, failure is not the opposite of success, but it is part of success. So when we fail, we can't just say, oh, I'm just a failure. How many of you get really down on yourself when you fail? I think some of us do, right? We do not like to fail. We feel like failure is the bottom of the barrel, right? We think any type of failure, it's, well, I'm just not good enough. And then I'm just disappointed. And then the enemy's like, yeah, you're not good enough. Yeah, you should be disappointed. You failure, right? And he jumps on that bandwagon of this downward spiral of us not responding right. But we have to understand that failure is not the opposite of success, but failure is a part of success. If you, have, if you ever get to the point of where you are very successful in something, you have went through some failures and you've responded well, rather than responding in failure not well, right? So, th so we have to understand that in order to be successful, failure is part of the process. So when we're comfortable, when we're passive, when we're in that place of complacency, sometimes that's not the best place to be. And, you know, in my life, that is sometimes the moments when I say, hey, God, I got this. You ever been there? We don't need God. We're comfortable. We can control every variable, right? We, I, I got this, God. You know, we say that subconsciously, or maybe we don't even say it out of our mouth, but we think it, right? So when, how many of you know, but when our life is flipped upside down and all of a sudden, you know, we're desperate and we realize we can't do it without God. You know, people who go through hard times, I see them begin to pray like they've never prayed. You got a prayer life? No, I don't need to pray all of a sudden. Pastor Noe, please pray for me. I got, it's like, all of a sudden, man, it got real religious real quick because it was a byproduct of troubles hitting their life rather than just having a lifestyle of prayer and just staying in that condition of where we're at. So Proverbs 30, 7 through 9 in the NIV, it says, Two things I ask of you, ask of you Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood from my lips, uh, falsehood and lies far from me. 
Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and still and so dishonor the name of my God. So we look at this passage. What this passage is talking about is a life of balance. Help me not to be so rich and so independent that I can just say, if I need it, I can buy it or whatever. You know, like you get so arrogant and just on your own stability and providing for yourself that there's no need for God. Well, then we can get on that other spectrum of where we don't have anything and then it draws us into, you know, stealing and, you know, all of these other things. So in this passage, he was saying, man, give me a balance. Give me neither poverty nor riches. And that's what I pray for, right? And God, if you give me riches, Lord, help me to be a good steward of those. To help me know that what? Every good and perfect gift comes from who? God alone. If I'm wealthy, God has provided it. He's either given me the brain or given me the knowledge, or I've, I've done successfully well in failing enough that I've reaped the benefits from responding well to troubles in my life. But no good thing, if there's any good in me, it's God. We can't just be arrogant and prideful and say, well, look at me, look what I've done. How many, I see it in my kids, and I remember growing up, and I'd learn a new trick or, you know, flipping around on the floor, hey, mom, look at me. It was always so selfish-centered, right? Right, rather than giving God the honor that he deserves so much. So two questions. In life, when things are going well, do we continue to depend on God? So when things are good, are we focused on God? Are we saying, God, I still depend on you when things are going good? You know, or do we get that just, oh, yeah, I don't need you right now, God, I'm okay. So the second question, when troubles come, do you notice a difference in your need for God? Because all of a sudden, if troubles come and then there's this desperation and there's this desire for a need from God, maybe I'm not desperate enough for God when things are going okay. My positioning and my conditioning has to change when things are going okay. Because what we're looking for, guys and girls, is consistency. It's staying in that relationship of thriving in our relationship with God, not getting to that place like, oh, oh, I messed it up. Pastor Noe's messed it up again. Oh, God, help me. But every single day I say, God, help me. Because if I don't have you in my life, if you don't sustain me, even in the good times, don't let me just be dependent on you in the bad times. But let me live a lifestyle that is always, every single day, saying, Lord, this is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Lord, I can't do it without you. Help me today. Okay? So in life groups, we just, talked, just finished talking about uh, you know, keys to effective prayer. And I know that pray, our prayer life really, really increases when something important to you happens or is happening or it's a matter of life and death. Have you guys experienced that? You know, I, uh, we always ask about prayer requests. Hey, are there any personal prayer requests? What's going on? And, but you just see an urgency when there's something that matters really to you and it shakes your comfort level or it's fearful, you know, like I say, life and death situations, all of a sudden... We begin to pray, but can we have these prayer habits on a regular basis rather, just on a, rather than just having it on a conditional basis? And I don't want to be somebody that just looks for God when I need Him, but I want Him in my life every single day. That's my heart and that's my prayer. You know, it's, it's seeking the heart of God rather than just the hands of God. And what I mean by that, it's not just saying, oh, Lord, I need this, so here, or hey, I need these gifts, or just praying for the blessings of God and all the provision of God, but not knowing the heart of God. No, having, you know, it's just reaping the benefits with no relationship. You know, my children, they reap the natural benefits from me being their earthly father. 
But what's more important to me than just what I provide for them is for their heart to be near my heart. That they would know the motives and the motivations of why I give all these gifts, why I take care of them. Right? It's just like that with God. He takes care of all of these things for us. I was talking to my son. We've been really trying to be intentional with our kids, taking them on date days. And he, didn't ha- he wasn't comfortable saying, me and dad are going on a date. So we have an MDO program, which is Mother's Day Out. So he said, Dad, I got an idea. He said, let's call it Man's Day Out. So I said, I'll, I'll prophesy that over you, young man, as you grow to be a man. But I was talking to him about things of life, what's important, just trying to get heart connection, right? And I asked him, I said, what's something that, you know, what's, because I told him about, you know, when you become an adult, you have all these hard decisions and you make so many decisions every day and it's just hard to navigate. I said, what hard decisions have you made today? And he sits there and he's thinking, so I'm thinking he's going to come up with something really sophisticated. He says, well, dad, I did have a hard time today. And I'm so I'm leaning in. I'm like, man, he's going to get it. I couldn't figure out which video game to play today. Said, oh, big, big, big decisions, right? You know, and that, that was as bad and as hard as he has it. And I'm so thankful that he has those games and he has all of these things. But in that spending time with my son, I want him to know the heart of the father, not just the hands of the father. And that's what it's all about. When we hit troubles, when we go through things in life, are we close to the father's heart where all we have to do is wrap our arms around him because we're near to him? You know, I know sometimes as children, we're far off, like, you know, you're off in the playground and when you skin your knee and have you ever seen it? The kid comes running, oh, bloody murder, screaming, they skin their knee or whatever. And it don't matter if the teacher is there, it doesn't matter if friends there, who are they looking for? Mom or dad. And usually it's mom, it's not dad. So I'll be like, suck it up, kid, you're going to be all right. Is it broke or you're, is it bleeding that bad? No, go play. But that comfort, right? And that's what we really want. We want to have that close relationship with God. All right. So we need to be people of prayer during setbacks, during difficult seasons. So this morning, we're going to look at three things to remember when faced with difficulty in your life. The first thing we're going to look at is hard times are a part of life. You have to know that. Secondly, we're going to talk about that nothing can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And thirdly, you can always find strength in the Lord. Okay. so we're going to jump right in. Let's look at that first one. Hard, you know, you're going to experience hard times in life, that hard times are a part of life. John 16, 31 through 33. He says, do you now believe? Jesus was talking to the disciples. He says, Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone for my father is with me. Verse 33, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. And then he says, in this world, you might, should, may, maybe not, or you will, what? You will have trouble. And then his response is, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So we have to understand in this passage, the disciples, they were about to experience a setback of a lifetime. They were going to be separated from that relationship that they had with Jesus. It says that, it says that he, would, he would be striked and, and that, the, that the sheep would be scattered. This was the fulfillment of that prophecy in Scripture, and they were going to go. They weren't going to know what to do. But what does he say? He says, it's okay. I'm telling you these things ahead of time, so why? So you'll have peace. You know, God tells you what you need to know before you get there if you pay attention. But a lot of us say, Lord, how come you didn't? Why didn't you? He said, you never asked. 
You weren't seeking me. You sought me in the moment of trouble rather than just pursuing me over a lifetime. So when we stay connected with the heart of God, He will tell us what we need to know to get through those hard, difficult seasons of our life, those seasons of trouble. Okay? But He says, you know, that, that um, it's, really He was telling the disciples, it's going to be okay. And I know if Father God tells me that, it's going to be okay, guess what? How many of you know all of a sudden I can have peace? I may be, now my mind in the natural may be looking at the situation and say, Lord, I don't know about this. I trust you, but my eyes see what's happening. My mind is freaking out in what, in what it's processing. But I think the moment Father God says, it's going to be okay, we can trust that. So when he says, you'll have trouble in this world, know that it's inevitable and it's unavoidable. You know, people never take risks because of fear of failure. Uh, I don't want to, I don't, I, I just don't, you know, there's a promotion available. Let's hypothetically look at it, right? The first thing people say because of a fear for failure, well, I just don't think that job's for me where in the, all along they're like, well, I don't know if I would get it anyway if I apply for it. Or there, there's, there's this battle between can I actually do it? Well, I'll tell you one thing. If you never try, you will never succeed. If you, ne- if, you never, if you never try for the promotion, now you can even learn things from putting in for a promotion, even if you don't get it. I remember when I was at STP, the first time I was, uh, went for the lieutenant board, I didn't get it. Guess what I did? I asked them everywhere I score, scored low. I said, well, what, can I, what did I, where could I have done better? And there was one protective strategy part that I just bombed. I was like, man, that's what you were looking for? Yeah, I failed it. Like when I knew what the, the answer they wanted, right? But I took that opportunity to learn everything I had failed in. And guess what? Then there was a lieutenant board later. Now I could have said it stayed in that fear of failure and just said, you know what? I failed last time. This lieutenant thing just isn't for me. And I could have shrunk back from it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do it again. So I took the same test, did a lot of the same things. And I was smart this time because I knew how they were great. And I said, what was my score on that one? What was my score on this one? I knew my score when I walked out. I said, if I don't get hired for this, it's rigged against me. And they're just trying to sabotage me. That was the place I was at because I knew I had prepared. I know I had done everything that I needed, and I got it the second time around. But let's say I would have, that failure moment would have defined the rest of my career when I was working in secular work. And, and some of you are getting this opportunity. There's a promotion. Now, some of us, we're, we're creatures of habit and complacency, and we don't want to be challenged, and we just want to... How many of you know about that easy paycheck? Yeah, and, and the older we get, the more complacency we get. We're just like, I just like it the way it is. I don't like to, a lot of changes. I don't like to shake the boat, rock the boat. I want it just easy. But God still has great plans for us as long as we have breath in our lungs. He's in this process of making us more and more like him. And he does that work the best when we are uncomfortable. When troubles come, when setbacks come, when failures come, when difficult seasons come. Just because we live a life sold out to God doesn't exempt us from the challenges of living life. So God never promised that it would be easy, but he did promise us that he would be faithful in every season of our life. I know I reflect the, the story all the time about footprints in the sand. You guys have heard that story? 
they're, wa- they're walking in the sand and they see two sets of, of footprints and he's walking along having a conversation and, and he gets frustrated and he, he says, when it got challenging, God, I was so frustrated because I began to look on the ground and during those most difficult seasons of my life, I saw one set of tracks. And he was super mad. He said, God, why did you leave me? Why did you forsake me? I needed you most in those seasons of your life. And the most powerful part of that story says, no, son, you don't understand. Those marks in the sand were my feet. Those were the seasons of, my li- of your life that I carried you through it. So we have to change our perspective. We have to see that God is always near to us, that we are going to have hard times. That is just a part of life. But God promises always to be near to us. Matthew 16, 25, it says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. So we really only understand the cost of following Christ when trouble comes. Say that one more time. We only understand the cost of following Christ when trouble comes. When everything's going good, there's money in the bank, all the bills are paid, everybody's healthy, everybody's whole, there's no sickness, nothing's going on. There's no cost for Christ of just where it's just like, man, this is the good life, living the blessed life, right? But we don't always see the cost of following Christ till hardship, till something happens. So this is when faith is tested or our faith is lost. John 15, 18 through 21 in the NIV. So uh, this is the, the, the title. It talks about, you know, the world hates the disciples. So listen to this word. as Jesus. this is what will happen if you are mine. Now, This was not preached to me when I received salvation. The things that were preached to me was, hey, do you not want to go to hell? No, I don't want to go to hell. Well, how do I get there? You got through Jesus. Okay, that's great. You know, so what I got to do? Say this prayer, believe on the cross, believe in the blood. It's going to be great. It was was like an ice cream sundae Christianity. It was easy. It was convenient. I didn't realize it would really truly what cost me my life. And we are getting to the place, guys, in in culture where the lines are being divided, where God says, I don't want you to be hot. I would rather you be hot or cold rather than lukewarm. What's happening in our culture, in our country, that lukewarmness is being separated. You can no no longer actively straddle the fence and kind of just do both. You're having to take a stand for God or you're having to reject God. It's being separated. You can't just fake church anymore. You're going to have to make a point to get here. You're going to have to make a point to pray. You're going to have to make a point to say, Lord, I'm going to follow you when it gets hard. There's a shifting. There's something changing in the, in, in the culture that's causing you to change. But we can prevail it. He, Jesus says, it's going to be okay. You're going to be all right through all of it. But this is what it says, John 15, 18. It says, if the world hates you, keep this in mind. It hated me first. Well, Jesus, that don't make me feel any better. I like being liked. But he says, if they hated me, they'll hate you. Verse 19, if you belong to the world, if, if, if the world would love you as its own, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Verse 20, remember when I told you a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teachings, they would obey yours also. They would treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one whom sent me. So we, 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 we really, so we'll not be treated kindly. We're not going to be loved all of the time, right? You know, the Bible actually tells us, says that we'll be hated because he was hated first. Now, have any of you been really hated that bad? 
Now, before you're like, no, never. Now, be careful. I, I like to use the word, well, maybe not yet. Because we, we, well, I still got breath in my lungs. I mean, I'm still fighting the good fight, as, as Paul says in his word. But may the persecution come that the faithfulness of the Lord will be present in every season of my life. So we have to understand hard times are a part of life. Secondly, when trouble comes, be reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8, 35 through 39. Verse 35, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who, is, who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither in this present nor in the future, nor any powers, neither in the heights or the depths, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And can you say amen? Because that passage, it covers all of it. You're like, well, pastor, you know, you don't understand. I've never been naked for Christ yet. I mean, that to me, that is the, that is the pinnacle of like, man, it's, I have got clothes to wear, food to eat. I mean, you know, you talk about, we got it good. You know, we have not yet suffered in this capacity, but I, I have to, we have to understand that the love that God has for us is always available to us. He never withholds it. He never says, well, just try it without it. He says, no, my love is long-suffering, enduring. It will always be with you. You know, in the Bible, it says that, you know, that God turned away from Jesus for a moment. And Jesus' words, he says, you know, why have you forsaken me? I believe that the heartbeat of that is that God forsook Jesus once, so he would never have to forsake us as his children. You have to understand that on the cross, he accomplished everything. He did everything he was supposed to do and needed to do so that we would never have to receive what Jesus bore for us. That's the big picture of what we're seeing here. That he loved us even unto death. Even being forsaken by his father. Everything that Jesus went through, he, at that moment, I, I think that was probably the worst. You say, how, how do you say, how do you say that, Pastor? No, he was beaten, he was whipped, he was, he was spit upon, crown of thorns, you know, just in agony. But I'm okay until my father forsakes me. But we know that he was forsaken once so that we would never be forsaken. We would never be left, but that we would always be loved, whatever the case. Nothing can separate us. It says no troubles, no hardship, no persecution, no famine, no nakedness, no, no danger, nor sword can separate us. You know, in this passage, uh, we, have to, we, have, we have to remember that no matter what we go through or what we have done, or what we will do, God loves us. Every season of our life, everything we do, everything we mess up. How many of you can remember some mess ups in your life? You ain't raising your hand, you're lying again, right? Can't do that at church. Conversation after, right? But there's moments of our life that we're not happy about. Maybe we didn't have a relationship with the Lord or we weren't, our hearts weren't torn, turned towards God. It was in those moments that he still loved us. And he didn't just love us, but he wanted us. And he pursued us so that we could be his own. 
you know, if we look at this passage, you know, it says that uh, we are more than conquerors. So this means that we will not just have victory, but we will have a heavy victory. Now, how many of you would be okay with just being a conqueror? I would. But it says, I will even make you more than conquerors. It's always like that Jesus one up, right? So what can separate us from the love of God according to this passage? What's the answer? Nothing. So the moment we say, Lord, where are you? What have you done? Why are you not near to me? Be careful whose voice you're listening to. The Father God will never forsake and abandon his children. He will never put you in harm. He will never cause harm upon you. The moment we say, God, why did you do this? We need to make sure we realize that we, that we, ha we have an enemy of this world that hates us, whose who's, who's desire is to kill, steal, and destroy. So when somebody gets cancer, you think it's God that did it? Or is that part of killing, stealing life, and destroying everybody that they come in contact with? To me, that's more nature of the enemy than the nature of God. Now, we don't always understand, and I think that that's what we have to understand, that God's understanding is greater than our understanding. And there's some variables that we just got to be okay not knowing, but our trust can be in what? In the Lord. Every season of our life. So we're going to have trouble in this lifetime. And we're going to, and we have to realize that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Let's look at Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. It says, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. So let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we have to understand, Jesus truly understands. He really does. And I think that's what we want to say to us. Well, you don't understand. You are all God. Yeah, he was all God, but he was still all man. He dealt with everything. He felt everything. He was abused and rejected by man. He was tempted, but yet was without sin. But by living that lifestyle, he allows us to live that same reflection of Christ in our lives. Well, Lord, I'm just not God, so what does it say? We're all new create creatures in Christ. The old man has passed away and is done away with. And the new man has been birthed within us. So the moment we go back and we give credit to the old man, we're resurrecting something that should have been dead as we walked in newness of life. So he truly understands in every single way he never sinned. So we can approach the throne of grace with confidence and find mercy and grace. So the two definitions of mercy and grace, you have to get these. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You have to understand what you deserve. It's not pretty what you really truly deserve, but it's not getting what you do deserve, but grace is getting what we don't deserve. I love both of those. I want as much of both as I can get because I need it in my life. So this is the kind of God we serve, okay? So we have to understand hard times are a part of life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And finally, when trouble comes, you can always find strength in the Lord, Always, you can always find that strength, okay? So let's look at David's life real quick. You know, uh, he was known as being a man after what? God's own heart. 
So he, he was, his heart was towards God. It was connected with God. He wasn't concerned about the hands of God. He was a man that was connected to the heart of God. And let's look at 1 Samuel 33 through 6 in the NIV. It says, When David and his men's men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. Let me just stop there for a minute. You want to talk about a man of God having a bad day. That's it. Like, I mean, I would just be like, Lord, what are you? I'd get all kinds of mad. Think about it. I showed up. Everything's destroyed. My whole house is burnt down. All my, my wife, my kids, they even took my dog. They took everything. I mean, I'm very frustrated. I'm very offended. I'm, I'm, I'm heartbroken. Then, then it goes on to say in verse four, it says, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Verse 5, David's two wives had been captured, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and his daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. So it would be like if collectively as a church we went through a hard time. We showed up, everything we had, everything we owned was gone. And David was having a bad day, right? And if it wasn't bad enough, it would be the equivalent of now y'all are mad, y'all are bitter, and now y'all are talking about stoning me. And I'm here, I'm right here with you. I lost everything too. But because I'm in charge, well, let's, let's stone him. Oh, come on, man. It just, it gets worse and worse. I mean, this would almost be one say, okay, hey, I'm done, Lord, I'm out. It's going to be me and you. I'm going to go back to the fields. I'm going to go back to shepherding. Forget these people. But we have to understand that God was building David to shepherd the people and to lead the people, right? So we see, we see this, this time. But what does it say? That last part in verse 6, it says, But David found strength in his ability, in his previous victories. Now, what does it say? It says, David found strength in the Lord his God. There was nothing else that he could do at that moment except to cling to what he knew. And that was his relationship with the Lord. So this moment in David's life, you know, he was having a bad day. He was greatly distressed. But what was David's response? He found his strength in the Lord. So we never go through something so bad or so, so terrible that we can't find our strength in the Lord. That's one thing I want to, want to make sure you understand. We can always find strength. Pastor, no, I can't make it. I've never been through this. I don't know what to do. Find your strength in the Lord. Don't go to drugs. Don't go to alcohol. Don't go to icing your brain. All of these things that just kind of put a Band-Aid on the real issue. Find your strength in the Lord. Reveal your weakness. Say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm, I'm distressed. I'm in agony. Everyone wants to kill. Like think, like, think about it. But Lord, I need to find strength in you. Don't look for anything artificial that's not God. I don't, I don't really know all the coping mechanisms that we go through. But in order to survive certain things in our life, when that trouble and that hardship and failure and setback happen, we have to find our strength in the Lord. Let's look at Paul real quick. He was another man of God that really just uh, lived a radical life, had a, had a radical transformation. But in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10 in the NIV, it starts out, you know, which it gives us the answer of why this was given to Paul. But it says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, 
So let's just stop there. Are there any of you who have been guilty of at some point in your life maybe becoming conceited or being a little arrogant or just feeling like, oh, well, Lord, I'm not as bad as that guy, right? Versus allowing Jesus to be the standard. Well, as long as I'm one up on Morgan, I'm good, right? We, we do, you know, but you got to realize that's what it's being conceited, thinking we're better off than somebody else. I think we're all, to some degree, you know, we're competitive, you know, like Ricky Bobby, if you ain't first, you last, right? You know, just like this mentality of just like, we don't know how to fail. We don't know how to lose. We don't know how to deal with setbacks. You know, I think some of the best things to learn for those who really succeed is to fail a few times. You know, I love uh, sports teams when they really, really are doing well for them to at least lose one game. Because it brings them back down to equilibrium. You know, I believe those guys, they get so puffed up and like, oh, we're untouchable. And then they leave the locker room and they can't get out the door because their bubble head is swelled up so much. God can use that failure to set us up to keep us right where we need to be, right? So this is what it says. It says, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, that's what Paul was saying. And this is what he says in continuing in verse 7. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That doesn't sound like too much fun, right? In verse 8, it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. So have any of you ever pleaded three times, multiple times? You've prayed for God to do something, right? But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then he responds. He starts shifting. He starts understanding, I know who God is. And if God does not remove it, then there has to be some purpose. There has to be some reasoning why it's not being removed. Which, what did he say? In order to keep you from becoming conceited. But he says, my grace is sufficient for you. You know, it says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. I'm going to say that one more time. How many of you could be like that? I delight. I'm excited about weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and difficulties. Now, was that ever preached to you when they said, hey, come to the altar. Come follow Jesus. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing, right? You know, we just have to have a right perspective. But what does God say? He doesn't say, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to forsake you. He says, man, my love to you is, not, is never ending. Nothing can separate us. It's going to be okay. But then what, what does he say then? My grace is sufficient for you. You can always find strength in me. This is Paul's final charge to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 6.10, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's in the New King James Version. He wasn't just talking about it. He was living it. And I think that sometimes you might hear something I say on a Sunday. You're like, well, Pastor Noah, you don't understand. You don't know my whole life. You might see where I am today, but you, you didn't see a decade ago, you know, when something catastrophic hit our family or we had an opportunity to trust the Lord. But I've seen God's faithfulness. I've suffered trouble in this life. Right? I mean, I think we, we have to realize where we're at. I think we have to learn to praise God on the mountaintop and we got to learn to praise God in the valley. 
It doesn't matter the season of my life and the highs and the lows, when, I, when I'm emotionally well, when, when, I'm being, when I'm being pure and holy before the Lord, or maybe I'm living a sinful life and I'm not doing what I should be, that even in those moments I will praise the Lord and I will allow Him in my weakness for Him to be strong. It's more about what He does than I do. Have you figured that out yet? And He cares more about the result than what you go through. I think Paul was frustrated. Lord, I prayed, and I am a man of God, and I've done it three times, and you told me no, and you said my grace is sufficient. I think I'd argue, to argue with God all the way to heaven. Oh, Lord, how come you don't? Hey. But I love it when we really look at that, that passage, in order to keep you from becoming conceited. And that's when I pause and say, all right, Lord, you see something I don't, and you'll keep it in place until I'm changed to look more and more like you, rather on this side of, the, of heaven or that side. So we must find strength in the Lord during times of trouble. Grab a hold of the Lord and don't let go. Cry out and declare for a need for him. See if he will not come to your rescue. I challenge you with that. See if God will not come through. Being faithful, being strong, being strong when we're weak. He perfects his power in weakness. Can you wrap your mind around that? He perfects his power in weakness. He knows what he's doing. You ever tried to play God and give God some advice? Hey, I think you need to. <laughs> okay. In order to keep you from becoming conceited, dot, 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 you fill in the blank. In closing, let's look at this passage. Psalms 145, 17 through 20. It says, the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on his name in truth. Verse 20, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Sorry, all those verses are messed up. I just caught that. It should be 17, 18, 19, and 20. Close your eyes and hear that one more time as I read that to you. I want you to get distracted with those numbers. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and faithful in all He does. The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears the cries and saves them. And the Lord watches over all who love him, but the wicked he will destroy. You guys stand up with me this morning. We'll close and we'll get out of here. This morning, man, I want you to know that we serve a faithful God. You say, Pastor Noe, faithful to what? Anything you go through in this lifetime. He's always proved himself faithful. You know, I think there's even seasons in my life sometimes where I didn't see the faithfulness of the Lord, and I was like, ah, we got you here. But then in hindsight, I see the faithfulness of the Lord. Like I said, I think, I think we don't always see in full perspective of what God is doing. Now, if we follow him long enough, we're going to have battle wounds. We're going to have scars. We're going we're to we're we're see those casualties of war in our life. 
But rather than those things causing us to shrink back, allow those to push us forward in all that God has called us to do and called us to be. Amen? So today, be, mi be mindful. Trouble will come. You understand? You hear me? Trouble will come. There's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And then you can always find strength in the Lord in every season of your life, in every high, in every low. Let's just fight for some of that consistency in our life, right? They won't just be pursuing God when things are bad. But man, we will even praise God when things are good. Thank you for joining us for the Harvest Time Church podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and empowered. If you'd like more information about our family, please write us at 42 FM 2540 South, Bay City, Texas 77414. Or check us out on the web at harvesttimebaycity.com.